Hello, and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune, and this week's episode is Philippa of Lancaster. Welcome to a special collaboration episode with Cork Out History. Just a quick introduction before heading into the episode. Cork Out History is a podcast about Portuguese history with Inej and Andre. Philippa of Lancaster is a bit of a crossover character in history, bringing her English heritage and knowledge to Portugal and helping to raise the Portuguese illustrious generation of royal children. This alliance between England and Portugal is the longest running ongoing European treaty. This is a much more chatty episode than my normal episodes, but it's very subject focused. I hope you'll enjoy. Please join me now. All right. So I'm just going to say before we start at all that I don't speak any Portuguese at all. And I'm really scared that I'm going to pronounce things wrong, like the way that John is pronounced in Portuguese. So I will be using anglicized names for everyone. And I kept to the anglicized names as well. Okay. It just means there are a lot of Johns, like an yes. unbelievable <laughs> number of Johns. So <laughs> let's start. We're talking about Philippa of Lancaster, who was, this is where the crossover comes from. She married John of Portugal on the 14th of February, 1387. Um, and their wedding had been blessed 12 days earlier. They were married by proxy, despite being in the same country. And I found this an interesting tradition. Had you heard about this? The man who stood as proxy for the king actually pretended to bed Philippa. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, we... <laughs> had you heard of that before it... at all? Yeah. It is quite something. It is quite something. Well, I'm just going to add a little bit here because it's interesting. When we first saw this, I couldn't find reference to this wedding by proxy in any of our Portuguese sources. So oh. it turns out there's only references to this in two English sources, apparently. And the Portuguese sources just mentioned the later wedding in Porto. And there was zero references from our side to the wedding. To by the proxy. proxy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is amazing, actually. So this will be interesting seeing where the different references go. So I'm really happy you guys will be discussing everything that happens after the marriage because I haven't read enough about that. So there we go. We'll tell you all about it. Yeah. So how did we get here with this young woman with the surname of Lancaster marrying into the Portuguese royal family? So decades before her birth, in 1337, her grandfather, Edward III, King of England, had declared himself king of France by descent through his mother from Philip IV of France. You guys have heard about this, right? Yes, yes. I'm not surprising you. <laughs> we're, 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 we're familiar. Oh my God. The Hundred Years know. War. What? No, you guys, you guys seem to know. What so. a shock. <laughs> we listen to your podcast as well. Awesome. So, yeah. so this is, it's what we now call the Hundred Years War. And further complicating this, in 1346, the plague appeared in Europe. And these two events would obviously devastate the entire population. The plague is going to have a huge influence throughout Philippa's life. Oh, yeah. Uh, so her aunt, Joan of England, the second daughter of Edward III and his wife, Philippa of Hainaut, Philippa, obviously, whom Philippa is named after, was betrothed to the Prince of Castile, Peter. And in 1348, on her way to marry him, she died of plague in Gascony at 14. Well. Yeah, it's really sad. Great, great yeah. stuff. <laughs> it's, 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 great. it's horrible. It's, stories, guy. it's the saddest story. And <laughs> so because this marriage never happened, once Peter became king of Castile, 
he pushed for a French alliance. And obviously, this is in the middle of the Hundred Years' War. And it gets even worse. Peter of Castile is shocking. He had secretly married his mistress, Maria de Padilla, earlier. (laughs) And then he was pressured by his mother, whom apparently he didn't tell about the marriage, to marry, oh, it's horrible, to marry Blanche of Bourbon to cement his French alliance. Right. Yeah, so... It's great to see that these people have their lives together as much as we do. It's like, oh, no, what? No, Mom, I don't want to tell you about it. Yes, I messed up. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, Peter's marriage to Blanche was surprisingly, uh, completely surprisingly, not successful. (laughs) Shocker. He, He abandoned her, imprisoned her, and likely had her murdered. Brilliant. Brilliant, I mean. Yeah, but he didn't get his English marriage. And so, of course, the English-Spanish alliance broke down. And everyone wants Spain to be friends with either England or France because that way they can get access to the Spanish fleet, which is incredibly instrumental in protecting the channel. So Yeah, yeah. Everyone's after those ships, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Ships are important. I guess we're now to Philippa's birth because she's got to be born at some point, which is on the 31st of March, 1360, which means when she finally did get married in 1387, she was 27, which means like she might as well have been an old maid at that point, according to the (laughs) (laughs) I mean, her life was done. What are they doing? (laughs) Exactly. According to practices at the time, she was just, no. (laughs) So she was the oldest child of a name that'll be familiar to many, John of Gaunt and Blanche of Lancaster. So her parents had actually been married less than 10 and a half months when she was born. So good job, guys. I'm glad you really liked each other that much. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They've been busy. (laughs) Not to be indelicate, but that worked out really well. And she's, of course, named (laughs) after her grandmother, Philippa of Hainaut, the wife of Edward III. And her grandfather on her mother's side is Henry of Lancaster, and he would be one of the heroes of the Hundred Years' War. Um, At one point, you may have heard it on my episode, he covered 200 kilometers in four days during a time period. It's it's a very impressive family, isn't it? (laughs) 13 kilometers in a day would be a good distance to cover. He covered 204 days. I was so impressed when I read that. ambitious (laughs) people. Ambitious. Oh, man. So John of Gaunt and Blanche were, when they got married, it's it's quite fun. And you and I have messaged about this already, Inej. So he was 19 and she was 17. And what's interesting is some blogs and even books will claim that she was 13 at the time of her marriage which since you two can do math, would make her 13 when she gave birth to her first child, which yeah. did not happen. So even though noble girls yeah. and royal royal girls were married at 12, 13, 14, really shockingly young ages, they wouldn't consummate their marriages until they were at least 16. They, yeah. they didn't want babies Mostly, having babies. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is you know, reassuring in a way. <laughs> yes, yes. The one case I can find where someone very young actually did have a child would be Henry VII's mother, Margaret Beaufort, who was right. actually 13 right. when she had him. But it was frowned upon. Like people were actually yeah, yeah, bothered yeah. by it. So it's a good it's a good sign. So what's it is a yeah, it's reassuring. <laughs> exactly. It gives us a little bit more oh, and and the Not reason this comes bleak. up 
is John Foissat, who's one of the big chroniclers of this time period because he was employed by mm-hmm. Philippa of Hainaut, stated that Blanche was only 22 when she died. We have no oh, idea yeah. where he got this number from. <laughs> it makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. Every legal document, every other source is like, nope, she was not 13 at the time of her marriage. She was yeah, not 22 yeah. when she died. She was... Yeah, some of our Portuguese sources, they claim she was 15 when she gave birth, but I guess... Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> let's think he was 17, guys. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's, you know, it will make us all happier, so... Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to go with that one because it makes me feel yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. bit more comfortable, actually. Yes, yes, yes. Totally, um, yeah. And the other thing I really love about this marriage is, so Blanche's grandfather and great uncle, so brothers, had been in near civil war against John's grandfather, Edward, throughout the early 1300s. It was really bordering on a civil war in England at that time. And they're all descended through Henry III and Eleanor of Provence. But Edward III and... Henry of Lancaster also descended through Blanche of Artois. Right. Which makes them first cousins. So they're first oh. and third cousins. Amazing. It's yeah. all families, everyone. This <laughs> which, yeah. just makes our job easier. Yeah, don't worry. Everyone has the same name and they're all cousins. And the family trees are really easy to draw. Like, yeah. Absolutely. So papal dispensation was obviously required for her parents' marriage. Right. Yeah. And from what I get from her parents' marriage, it really was a great marriage alliance in that sense, isn't it? Because joining the royal... Yeah. It was just joining the royal family power to the power and the prestige of the Lancasters. Yes. Tying everything with a nice bow. The Lancasters were very influential in the north of the... Whereas the royal power was very centralized in the south. So it did give them that kind of connection. As well, it was a good move financially for Edward III and Philippa to marry John to Blanche. She was one of the two heirs of Henry, her father. And his lands would have been worth about £10,000 a year. I think I have the math somewhere. It's £8 million pounds a the, year yeah, now. That's insane. Like nothing yeah. to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a simple conversion. So, and that really worked out. <laughs> and then it got doubled because Blanche's older sister sadly passed away. And so then right. they received all of hers. And because John was, was Blanche's husband and they had a child together, Philippa, it means that for his lifetime, he had access to everything. So as long as I mean, he was alive, it really worked out. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, good, good move on their part. So let's not worry about anyone but Philippa for a minute, though, or her siblings. <laughs> so she has two surviving full siblings: Elizabeth of Lancaster and Henry Bolingbroke. And they actually had four other siblings, but none of them survived childhood. So, yeah, her mother had seven pregnancies in nine years of marriage. Oh my goodness, that's, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I'll be honest, I've had two pregnancies and that, that was enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just... But, and just to, you know, obviously having them and then the children not surviving, that I can't imagine. It would be hard. Yeah, that's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay. And then through her father's other marriages, she would have 
five surviving half-siblings plus one further illegitimate half-sibling. So he had one child before he married Blanche. And then he'd have a daughter, Constance of Castile, with his second wife. And then four children, John, Henry, Thomas, and Joan, with his longtime partner and future wife, Catherine Swinford. So she had a huge family growing up. Yes, and for a long time of her life, growing up and stuff, they actually all lived together, which yeah. is quite uh, quite <laughs> impressive, really. It feels like it would have been uh, a bit of a let you talk about hippie it. commune, actually, but I, I don't think it actually <laughs> it does was. a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> a very privileged hippie commune. <laughs> so John of Gaunt's biographers make it very clear that once he began his affair with Catherine Swinford, he kept her and the wife that he was with at that time a bit apart. So they weren't in the mm -hmm. same household. Yeah. But yes, she, Philippa was, obviously her mother and father were around to raise her, but her main, often called a, a governess, was her father's future third wife, Catherine Swinford. And she basically took care of, you know, educating her and making sure she'd be ready for marriage. And not only that, but Catherine Swinford, daughter from her first husband, was one of Philippa's ladies-in-waiting. They call them damsels. It's quite a lovely little yeah. name. So. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so even her step-siblings she knew quite well from a very young age. Yeah, they were quite close. Yeah, and she'll write to all of her siblings for the rest of her life, which I think is quite lovely. So she was only eight when her mother died which I think is heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. And from what I gather, her grandmother had died just one month before. No, it was so actually for... after. After? After, yeah. Oh, no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> they're God. very they're very close together, yeah, sadly, yeah. in death. So for young Philippa, at the age of eight. eight, suddenly her mom passes away and then her grandmother passes away, which, yeah, it would be her first big contact with death. And yeah. I can imagine, yeah, come a little bit has a shock. And Edward III and Philippa had been really close and they were really big on, their children were all really close, actually. Mm. And then John of Gaunt and Blanche continued that with their children. So it's these right. two really, and these two huge losses in this really close family, which I imagine would just yeah. be a lot to deal with. Yeah, have a big impact and her being so young as well. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. But yeah, so her mom passes away. Yep. And so this whole time, Catherine Swinford is in charge of her household. And um, how do I put this? <laughs> so John of Gaunt swore to the Pope. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and he was very pious. So I do assume that he wasn't lying, that he didn't begin his affair with Catherine Swinford until after her first husband's death in 1371. So it's not... She didn't get the job by sleeping with her boss. But, you know, they eventually, it sounds like they met and fell in love. And the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not here to judge, right? No, <laughs> and, uh, no, not, no, not love not, in the not. 13th century. <laughs> exactly. I'll judge and you if you marry a 13-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and not, yeah, not yeah. falling in love. No, we can't judge that. No, no. <laughs> and we we can see later on that their relationship, I mean, not that it had to, it could be a short relationship and that would be fine, but actually their relationship will endure and they'll have, by all means, it seemed to, to be very dedicated to each other. So, I, I think they, yeah. they um, truly loved each other. Yeah, yeah. His, so, his actions say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And from what I gather, his marriage, even with Blanche, was a happy one, isn't it? Yes, yes. The sources seem to be... Obviously, we, we need to take everything with a little grain of salt because the chivalry romances were very much in trend, but they seem to have one of those, you know, chivalry romances from the books, probably. Well, Chaucer is actually the, I guess, the best person to look at for this because his book, yeah. the, the Book of the Duchess, is about supposedly about Blanche. And the way yeah. he describes it's just it... it's amazing that he was there with them. <laughs> they were in love, like... Yeah, I um yeah. I jokingly say in my podcast that it was not a love match to start with, more like a financial arrangement between friends. But yeah. it did develop into a love match. And yeah. even yeah, his... which is beautiful. It's really the best you can hope for. Exactly. Well, his second wife was one of those different marriages that I like to call a hostage marrying her jailer. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. so we'll get to that. everything was way too good, guys. Come on. <laughs> I know. I know. So he's had like all three types of marriages, the financial transaction between friends, the hostage marrying their jailer, and the love match. So John John got caught okay. in the He had a full life. <laughs> yeah, but this isn't about John. Probably the about... hostage didn't have such a full life, but uh, there you go. John did. So uh, amazing. We'll talk about her in a minute. It'll make sense. <laughs> so <laughs> Philippa was like, she was properly educated. So she actually studied poetry under John Foissart, who, as a poet, excellent. As a chronicler, a bit hit and miss. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I, I find references to her being educated in science under someone named Friar John, but I can't figure out which Friar John this is because there are a lot of them. It's, it's, there's a lot of Johns and there's a lot of Friars as there's, well. <laughs> Every one of her teachers is a John because the next one is John Wycliffe. Right. Um, okay. For theology. So, yeah. And these are not even the Johns we are concerned about, isn't it? <laughs> no. We are concerned about other Johns, but even here is Johns all the it's way. Johns. And John Wycliffe is, is an incredibly important theologian at the time. And he would be part of the inspiration for people like Martin Luther and later revolutionary Protestants. <laughs> Right. Okay. So yeah, okay. he's he's really big on that. A big name. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. She he didn't. John of Gaunt didn't have his kids' educations. They they got the full <laughs> proper education. And then of course, it's great that then Philippa brings that on to Portugal and to her children as well. But yeah. we're going to see that later oh, on. Oh no! I'm I'm yeah. so excited to hear about <laughs> this. And so <laughs> Jeffrey Chaucer was also a part of her household. Like it's it's a nice which is. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's nice when we just know the names around, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and then all the children, at a minimum, would have spoken Latin, French, and English, and read and mm -hmm. written it. Um, obviously, they didn't know who she'd be marrying, but she probably would have learned a bit of Spanish, depending on where they, they thought she was going, and possibly some of the, the languages of the Low Countries, so the Flemish dialects yeah. and things like that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I guess later with Constance and her side of the family, she would bring a little bit of the Spanish language into the mix as well, because they Definitely. seem to start having a lot of references there. Yes. So Philippa's father, John, he did try to get her married earlier. When she was 12, her father noted in his papers that he was considering making a marriage contract for her. But he decided not to mention who he was planning on marrying her off to. Thanks, John. Why would he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great, great notes. <laughs> I'm about to say the best name that is not John of Gaunt, so I hope you enjoy this. So in 1374, he suggested Gaston Phoebus, the Count of Foy. 
Yeah, I love that. <laughs> When it? I saw that one, it's just two Disney names together, and I'm like, oh, amazing. Yeah. That will do. As a name, I will. I now regret using James as one of my son's names. So. <laughs> Gaston. Come on, Venus. Gaston. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and this is one of the Black John of Gaunt's older brothers, known to history as the Black Prince. This is one of his allies in France. Yeah. So that's why that decision was made. And then one more attempt in the early 1380s he started negotiating with the duke of bavaria for marriage to his son willem and willem instead married marguerite of burgundy so a french alliance which would have probably made everyone very sad yeah Because that's not what they're going for <laughs> john of gaunt had a lot of daughters to marry off <laughs> like, well he was trying apparently he, but just he just did not quite hard enough he did try <laughs> Edward III had plenty of them to marry off as well. <laughs> There you go. Lots of alliances to go for. So I think the next devastating thing that happened in her childhood was in 1376, her uncle, the Black Prince, died. Um, right. Yeah. And that, I think, was devastating for all of England and most of France, even. Yeah, he was, it would definitely have a big impact in their family, too. Yes, he was considered really chivalric and, and a good man in general. And it would mess things up really badly for Edward III, who had this great plan. He's got this perfect chivalric son. And he dies. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> and so according to English practice that had never been tested, her cousin Richard, who was the Black Prince's son, should become king after their grandfather dies. And this had never happened. So in England, it had right. always been a father to son or brother to brother or anarchy since the Norman <laughs> Conquest. <laughs> so, you know, we have great precedent. <laughs> exactly. So the, the one other time this had been attempted, I, I could say the two, no, the one other time, because Matilda really did want to be queen on her own, was when... Richard the Lionheart, Richard I, died. He should have, according to our laws at the time, been succeeded by his nephew Arthur of Brittany. But instead, his brother John usurped the throne, yeah. captured Arthur, and had him murdered. Well, we have great precedent again. <laughs> yeah. So it was a bit interesting. And John of Gaunt was the oldest surviving son, so he was the Richard in this story yeah. and he would be accused pretty much for the rest of his life of planning on usurping his nephew Ooh. and as we know yeah, he was a popular man isn't it oh yeah poor guy <laughs> <laughs> and as we know he never did but someone else did <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there it'll happen <clears throat> so a year after the black prince's death edward iii died and richard did become richard ii so He had a council that was supposed to help him rule, but he was still considered an adult from the start of his reign, even though he was only 10 years old. Oh, great. <laughs> a young adult man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got this. <laughs> Let's put the country in the hands of the 10-year-old. Sounds great. It's it's not something I'd want to deal with. I, I know 10-year-olds <laughs> and they're... <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it obviously was incredibly destabilizing. And they'd been having mm -hmm. war in France, and now that's a little put on hold, but they still need money for things like that. So they kept Richard and Edward, before he died, had kept asking for taxes and taxes and taxes and taxes. 
and it was really hurting the common people of England. So, like as it always, was, as, always. <laughs> well, because always that's the one common de- oh. denominator all around, isn't it? It's yeah. The taxes were you always need money, and you always raise the taxes. Exactly. <laughs> the taxes were unfair as well, so they impacted the lower classes much more than they'd ever impact the upper classes because they were oh, flat taxes. So... They're very up to date these days. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We are <laughs> just like back yeah, in great. the in the Hundred Years' War. The plague is going on all around yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And taxes benefit the rich. What? <laughs> so, in 1381, protesting these unfair taxes, the peasants of Southern England marched on the city of London, and a little king who would have been what 14 then, 12, 13, 14, was trapped in the tower. Oh, by the forces. Yeah. Power to the people. So Philippa's childhood home, well, not really her childhood home, but her city home, John of Gaunt's house in the city, the Savoy, was burned to the ground when rioters mistook, this is a great story, they mistook a powder keg for a keg of wine. And they shut (laughs) a powder keg (laughs) on a fire. They had just lit a fire in his hall, which would have theoretically not burnt the hall down. But they, what they right. thought was a, a keg of wine was actually <laughs> right. gunpowder. That's great. That's brilliant. We had a safe fire first. <laughs> and then... They were very anymore. drunk. That's brilliant. <laughs> very <laughs> yeah, well, drunk. Clearly. <laughs> they could have tried to drink that instead of throwing it in the fire. But okay. <laughs> You'd think. So John of Gaunt only survived because he was in Scotland negotiating a truce. Lucky for him. Philippa's brother, Henry Bolingbroke, who is obviously someone very close to her, only survived because he hid in a cupboard in the tower. Oh my god. And the rioters didn't find him. Because they actually were able to break into the tower eventually. It's the peasants' revolt is it's a mess. But so he hid in a cupboard. Um, I don't actually know where her sister Elizabeth was, but I assume she was being scandalous with her husband. Which I'll get to in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> poor Philippa had to basically escape with her stepmother, Constance, and Constance's daughter, Catherine, and right. basically flee. Um, yeah. I I heard I heard not I heard I read no one's talking about this I'm not hearing this from anyone but I, I read that she was in I think a convent or something in Barking at the time which. It's fun because I can relate. I, I can relate. Not that I can relate to the convent, but uh, barking is quite close to where I work. So I love it when I can actually picture oh, the wow. places to the names a little bit. So I read that. And then from there, she apparently went to one of their holdings in Hedford, which is quite close to where I live. So it's just like, oh, I know that. Oh, I know that too. That's amazing. So they were and denied then, yeah. entry in the first castle they went yeah. to and had to go to another yeah. castle because... And just escaping like in horses through the night, isn't it? Which oh, is... it's horrible. <laughs> it's Must not... have been quite a shock. No, it's not It's not the beautiful life that you'd be, you'd be expecting. No, so. yeah. It would be quite a change from their courtly lives, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. One of John of Gaunt's recent biographers described how muddy Constance, her... Um, her stepmother would have been and obviously Philippa and Catherine wouldn't be much better so no no yeah it's very sad Um, yeah it it must have been very difficult to deal with yeah all nobility at the time and for them 
being part of the nobility. So obviously at this point, John of Gaunt is remarried because his first wife died. <laughs> and two years after she died, he married Constance of Castile, who was the daughter of Peter of Castile, the one who had his second bigamously married wife murdered. Nice. <laughs> Brilliant. Nice guy. <laughs> Great family. <laughs> so <laughs> he had been killed by his bastard half-brother, Henry Trastamara. Probably saying that name wrong. And Peter of Castile's will said that whoever married his oldest daughter, Constance, would be the king mm -hmm. of Castile. And so John was like, I'll get in on that. Plus, she's 17 <laughs> years old and can't be that bad looking. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> she was an actual hostage married to her jailer. So she and her sister had been sent away from Castile in 1366. After the Battle of Nohera, as hostages for Peter of Castile to pay what he had promised to pay John of Gaunt's brother, the Black Prince, uh, right. which he okay. he never okay. paid. So, so they, they were, really were yes, yeah. Um, yeah. They were living proper, in proper hostages. Yeah, they were living in Bayonne okay. in Gascony, um, and John of Gaunt was helping his brother watch Gascony before the Black Prince died, and was like, "I'll just marry her, and then I'm king of Castile." Oh, yeah, it's a well laid plan. Yeah, she was 17 at the time, so not, not too young. And, you know, what she gets out of it is hopefully revenge against her uncle. And that's that's about it. Yeah, that's something. Well, she would be queen, I suppose. So Yes, and that is yeah. a big deal at the time. So, yeah, mm. that was... It seems to be what they're all going for, so... I know, I know. <laughs> Now, Henry Trastamara was succeeded in 1379 by his son, John. It's all... So here it starts, isn't Here, it? here yeah. enters one of the other Johns, who will be here for the rest yeah. of the story. Yeah. And so John of Gaunt had been trying to get to Castile to stake his claim since 1371, and he finally had the chance in 1386. And this is where we finally get back to Philippa and her interesting yeah, yeah, story. Exactly. So I, I know you read this as well, but he brought along with his three to seven thousand man army. All of the sources have different numbers for that one. He brought his wife Constance and all three of his legitimate daughters, so Philippa, Elizabeth, and Catherine. Um, mm -hmm. And Elizabeth's husband, John Holland. There is another, yeah, another John. <laughs> There's yet another one. <laughs> and so I do have a funny story. It's it's not funny. I have an interesting story about Elizabeth. First off, all three of her husbands are named John. So I guess right. it made it easy. She just kept calling them John. So her yeah, first <laughs> her first husband, John Hastings, was only eight when they married. And she was 17. And so she was expected to wait around for her husband to grow up while remaining a virgin. Now, we've all been 17-year-olds, and yeah. I yeah. assume women and men are very similar in this way, and I just don't think waiting around well, for someone to grow up yeah. is really fair. So a few years later... anyone cared, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one would have cared, except sometime around 1385 or 1386, she started an affair with John Holland, and she got okay. pregnant which is the actual mm. scandal. So her right. her father got her first marriage to this still, I think he was 13 at the time, <laughs> to the, the little boy, annulled, and got her married to Hastings. Oh God. 
who in okay. even more interesting news was the older half-brother of Richard II from his mother's first marriage. Second first right. marriage. Okay. It's confusing. We won't worry about Joan of Kent's marriages. <laughs> no, 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 we won't. <laughs> but it's refreshing in a way because if they were having an affair, seems that it was, you know, uh, intended by both. Yes, <laughs> oh yes. It's refreshing to see that result in the marriage. He's, I, mean, he... I don't know if they intended it to be more than an affair, but such is the time, so... <laughs> exactly. If you get pregnant, you get married. Like, those are the rules <laughs> in royalty. I, as far as I can find out, she really did fall in love with John Holland, who is very charismatic and he, you know, charming. He was mean, not to her, but to other people. So he's he's an interesting... Thank God, that's refreshing. I know, I Look know. at that. <laughs> he's, he's an interesting character. So yes, so Philippa's cousin, Richard II, had decided to just get John of Gaunt out of the country because there were too many kings in England type thing. Mm. And... John of Gaunt Getting was a bit tight. Yeah, probably intimidating as well to a very young child. So he landed in, I'm going to say this wrong, I know, Galicia in Spain. Yeah, no, that's um, all right. Yeah. And you guys definitely know this. So this is that corner of Spain and the northwest that looks like it should be part of Portugal, but it's not. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's all right. We like them. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you would. I figured you would. And it was yeah. apparently the area of of Castile that was the least favorable towards John Trastamara, the king of Castile. It was much more favorable mm-hmm. to either the Portuguese or to John of Gaunt as king. Yeah, yeah. I think Galicia throughout the ages has ha- always had a close relationship to Portugal. Hasn't been the ones having the worst relationships to <laughs> the central government in Spain. There's other ones. Spain is a, is a difficult place. Yeah. But, uh, but they've always had quite a good and close relationship to Portugal. Okay. See, that makes sense. So John Trastamar <laughs> wasn't expecting the attack to come from Galicia. He was expecting it to come from Portugal. So he was totally caught on the back foot. And it actually, John of Gaunt got really close to being crowned King of Castile. So close. So close. So close. But then he just couldn't get the nobles of Castile to support him. So they stuck mm. with John Trastamara, which I I think Magna Carta and, and such shows that the English feel the same <laughs> way. It's your right to have a say in who your king is. So also, it was too hot for him. <laughs> yeah it still is i can confirm that it still is <laughs> i've heard rumors that the summers are not unlike those i have in canberra but more it's, humid go, <laughs> right okay i've never been to a summer in canberra but it gets warm like, yeah way too warm for british people <laughs> yes yes it's very dry and hot here so summers are interesting so yes and then the spanish the castilians started following what had worked really well for the french so they just avoided battle i actually yeah. i love yeah. this tactic when used well so you <laughs> <laughs> i know it sounds cowardly but my husband is fascinated by military history and so we discuss the fabian tactics quite regularly and we agree if you protect your people behind walls and you protect their property as much as you can and protect food and things like that so they're taken care of you're doing a really good job and you're not losing soldiers needlessly. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm all mean, for it. Yeah, of course you do what it works. War is there for a reason. It's not just being fought for the sake of it. Mm. So what you want is ideally to protect human life and to protect lands and everything you have around. So you do whatever works 
pass, really. Sometimes it's a battle in the open field and very often it's not. <laughs> exactly. For the British it was, isn't it? Like battles <laughs> in the open field. And so they like to paint that as the best way to do war. But I mean, that's exactly. propaganda if I ever saw. <laughs> it's so much propaganda. Yeah. So much. So yes, <laughs> so the war starts felling and thank goodness John of Gaunt brought three daughters with him. Two that were unmarried wow. because England and Portugal had the Treaty of Windsor already. John needed to make his own special alliance with, now enters John of Portugal. Yeah, exactly. Another John, guys. Oh, yes. And to make any alliance good, you've got you've to get someone married, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> that really seals it. I'm so glad we don't make alliances this way. How weird would that be if Barack <laughs> Obama had had to marry off one of his daughters? <laughs> ways we have come quite a long way i guess mm, yeah fewer hostages marrying their jailers so i'm all about that now I'm, I'm hoping you two will be able to explain this to me quite a bit more john of portugal had taken a public vow of chastity now he wasn't chased yes. by any stretch of the imagination he had a mistress and multiple children but he couldn't get married as part of that vow because that would be That's really fine. breaking the vow um, That's right. So he had to get papal dispensation, which actually took a really long time. Like John of Gaunt got angry about how long it was taking to get his <laughs> 27-year-old daughter married off. He's like, I need to get her married off now. <laughs> took me 27 years to get here, but now can we please get it done? <laughs> so yes, what what can you guys, I guess we'll, we'll switch over to your part now because they're married-ish, almost. Dear listeners, now to find out why John of Portugal had made a, a chastity vow and could not get married without papal dispensation, you'll have to come and join us in our podcast at Cork Out History. <laughs> and please do. I really, really do enjoy listening to Cork Out History. It's a, it's a very fun <laughs> podcast. So please get on it, my so, listeners. Yeah. Come find out how... Uh, Philippa's life develops. It's a good one, so you'll be missing out. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. As Inej mentioned, the second half of this will be out on Cork Out History. I'll include links to their podcast, and I hope you'll give it a listen. I had a great time doing this. Please let me know what you think, and if you'd like to see more collaborations. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at passpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash passpod. <laughs>